in the Bible, there was a time when Jesus uh, asked a question concerning John the Baptist. He said, what did the people come out to see? You know, and there were different explanations of what they came out to see. And he said, they came out to see this and they came out to see that. And he said, but truly, this is what they saw. In other words, they came out to see something, but maybe they didn't know what they were actually seeing. Jesus explained what they really saw. How many of you know or have heard that song, uh, Do You Hear What I Hear? You know that song? It's an old song, and it's a Christmas song, but there's you know, different points through it, and then it explains something and explains something. One part says, do you see what I see? Another part says, do you hear what I hear? And then another part says, do you know what I know? And that would be almost sounding like what Jesus said. What did people really see? What did they really recognize? What was it they were observing when they saw John? But really, the question could be asked of the people we know around us, and maybe even ourselves, have you seen what I've seen? Have you heard what I've heard? And do you really know what I know? Because that's a true statement. Many times we talk to people, and um, especially, you know, in the day and age we live where there's a lot of interaction that's really not personal, and people misrepresent or misinterpret things. Like if you're on social media, you know, like Facebook or different things where people can make comments and, and then answer comments back to you. Uh, people get all fired up and they're like, oh, they're saying something mean to me right now. And you know why people think that? Because of themselves, not because somebody is saying something mean. They just don't see it the way you see it. And they may respond a certain way. But how many times do we as a nation, as a people, think everybody sees like us? We do. We go, why not let everybody come into the country? Now, I'm not trying to open a can of worms here. Maybe I cracked the lid. But here's a thought. Here's a thought. Not everybody that wants to come in loves us. Not everybody who wants in your life loves you. Sometimes they come for selfish means. I mean, so, but we go, we just love, we forgive. Like, we as a country can go to war with somebody. I mean, we drop nuclear bombs on Japan and then help them rebuild. And as a people, we'll love them like the next day. I have Vietnamese friends that uh, said, you know, going to Vietnam was not smart. I'm going to tell you why. Not because of why we think. He said, we as Vietnamese people are super bitter. We've had wars that have lasted hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. We will not forgive as a people group. So you take our guns, you do everything, we'll keep fighting because we've had internal wars that have lasted over 700 years. So, you know, if you just think you're going to go in and win and then walk away and everything's going to be okay, because see, that's what we, okay, we lost, all right, now let's get back on our feet and let's move forward. What I'm getting at is I'm not trying to say Vietnam was right or wrong. I'm not trying to say anything like that or who we should let in or who we shouldn't. I am saying not everybody sees 
the way you see, so you can't always approach people the way you would approach yourself. Because you, by a correction, may just change and say, quit doing that thing. I say, hey, don't do that. You know, if you're going to come to my house, don't do that. And then I think, well, if I went to their house, I'd quit doing it. So go ahead and come in. But you may not be like that. You may come in and think, yeah, whatever he says, and then start doing some bad stuff. Not everybody sees the way we see. Right? I mean, how many of us have had a warning? Hey, don't do that. And we're like, okay, we won't. And other people had the same warning. And right after the person left, a teacher, a boss, said, whatever, I'm going to do that. Why? Because not everybody sees what we see. Not everybody sees the way you see. And so you have to recognize, I think as people, sometimes we're ignorant of that. You know what I mean? It's okay, we'll leave our car unlocked. I'm honest. I could just leave my keys. Well, let me put it this way. You could leave your keys and a stack of money there, and I will not take it. Maybe five bucks. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> but, but I wouldn't. And I, would, and I, I might take it only for the fact to stand around and wait for you to come back thinking, I know not everybody's going to think like that, and they're going to be opportunistic. So do people really see what we see and know what we know? And are we seeing what we're supposed to see, knowing what we're supposed to know, is a good question. What is Christmas really about? What is this Jesus thing really all about from God's perspective? That's a good question. Because then, do we know and see and hear what he's saying it is and knowing it is? And then, if we know, do people around us know? And there's a lot that's said about Christmas. Turn to Isaiah 9-6. You've probably, if you've been shopping have heard this song at some point. Maybe not this year because everybody's offended. Not everybody. Lots of people are. It's actually a spirit whether you believe it or not. There's an unseen realm trying to influence people from God's standpoint and from darkness's standpoint. But Isaiah 9-6 is a song that you hear, but it is a perspective of Christmas. And it's an interesting perspective because, you know, you can go around and uh, go to different lights, you know, you know, that are on homes and stuff, and people who aren't even religious, so to speak, will have a manger scene. Got to have a manger. You got to have a lamb, a donkey, no giraffe, three guys dressed with turbans and stuff or whatever little things. They look like a, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm not being mean, but that's just what they look like. And, you know, and then they're, they got their gifts, you know, and then there's a shepherd and there's an angel, you know, right there. And then there's a baby and a mom and a dad. And, and we see that. But what is it we're supposed to see? What did God see? Maybe we see what it is, but maybe those around us don't. Notice Isaiah 9, 6 tells us exactly 
what we really see beyond the baby. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful. Wonderful. Counselor. The Mighty God. Do people look at Jesus and go, oh, that cute little baby? From God's standpoint, from eternity's standpoint, looking at the baby, some people probably went, oh, how cute. Oh, it's too bad you didn't have room to get in here. And from the right perspective, looking at him, he's almighty God in there. And then it says, everlasting father, prince of peace. Then it goes on to say, of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. In other words, we know this, people will get saved one after the other, and it will keep increasing until he returns. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. So notice what it says, unto us, unto us, a child was born. That's how we saw it. We saw it as a child being born. The world saw it as just a child being born. But here's a big thing. How many children are born, maybe not to the same significance of him, but have a destiny on their life, but you don't always know it at birth? And here at birth, it says, unto us a child was born. Unto us a son was given, but he's almighty God. So I wonder how many people saw him as that. Wise men came, shepherds came, they had learned, heard by divine intervention. There's a baby born over there. And uh, he's no normal one. Like all the other ones, he's different. And they sought him out. But you know, not everybody sought him out. Because, I mean, but hey, if we really knew God was born in the flesh somewhere, wouldn't you think, I'm going to check this out. So not everybody saw it this way. But all they saw was a child. As a matter of fact, in Jesus' life, as he grew and even started having miracles and all kinds of stuff, people got offended and they said, isn't he the child of so-and-so? Aren't his brothers and his sisters right here right now? And they said they were offended at him. But if you have the right perspective and recognize this is God in the flesh, you could say they were offended at God. But they weren't looking at him like that. They weren't seeing what we see, hearing what we hear, and knowing what we know. Notice this in, in, in Matthew 1. Who is this that was born? <clears throat> Matthew, the first chapter. And it's so interesting, the perspective throughout the life of Jesus, different people's opinions. Some said he's a religious 
person. He's one of the prophets come back. And uh, different people saw him different. But then he said to his disciples, well, who do you think I am? And one of them just said, well, you're the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. You know, you're the son of God. And he said, you know what? You got the right perspective. He said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but the spirit of God, God did. And notice this, there were different people who were seeing different. What and who is he that was born a little baby? I mean, different people have had babies, you know. We got, I mean, I don't know how many are in there this morning, but we get a chunk of kids in there, you know, that are younger. And we look, and kids are awesome. They're innocent. He was innocent. But he was no normal baby. Notice this in Matthew 1, 23. It says, behold, a virgin shall be with child. I know people might argue about that, but it's just still a fact. If you believe God's a miracle worker, this is no big thing. But it's significant because sin fell from Adam to all humanity and keeps traveling through man. So the only way to bypass it is not to have a natural father. Notice this. Behold, the virgins shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God with us. When Jesus came, the world encountered something that they never had. They had God with them. They had God right there. Now, here's something we need to know. He pre-knew us. He knew us before we were born or knew of us coming. But we did not pre-exist. Jesus was foretold that he would come. God knew he would be here. But the issue is he did pre-exist. Notice this. We're talking about who is this, you know, that we celebrate right now. Turn with me to Micah, the fifth chapter. In the Old Testament, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Nahum, yes, depending on how you pronounce that. Micah, the fifth chapter, or page 817, if you have the same Bible I have. If not, that just slowed you down. But who is this that we serve? Who is it that we look at? Does the world have the right perspective? Just because they don't doesn't mean they don't have a right to the right perspective. Notice verse 2. Behold you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, however you pronounce that. I had it earlier. You could tell I didn't graduate the highest in English. But though you are little among the thousands of Judah, of all the cities and all the places, 
Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel. Notice this next phrase, and we know Jesus was born there. We know the religious people of their day knew that this is where the Savior would be born. They knew it from scriptures like this, but notice what they would have read here. It says, the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Many translations say, from eternity. Uh, everlasting would be eternity. He said, basically, this one who was going to come has always existed. We know that God has always existed and he came to the earth. There's an interesting side about the birth of Jesus that I think is super interesting. And we need to recognize his birth is different than our birth. Being that he was a virgin. And Mary we know in the Christmas story. How did she get impregnated? She just received the word. We know the Bible said he was the word clothed upon and became a man, God in the flesh. But notice how Hebrews reads this, and we're talking about who it is we see when we look at the baby Jesus, the growing one who grew and lived. Who is this Jesus? Hebrews, the 10th chapter, is real interesting. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verse 5. Therefore... When he came into the world, he said. Isn't it interesting when he came into the world, when Jesus came into the world, he said, or God said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. But it's interesting because it sounds like it's just God talking, and it is. But he's talking like he's here on the earth, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. But notice this phrase, but a body you have prepared for me. A body you prepared for me. How did Jesus get into the earth? How did God get into the earth? A body was prepared. A virgin conceived and the life, because we know this, everybody when they die doesn't cease to exist. The Bible said this, to be absent from the body. So people, when they die, are absent from the body. James said it this way in the Bible. The spirit without the body is dead being alone. In other words, the body ceases to function. The spirit departs. It's not just some force that goes out there. You are just as much you when you leave. But you didn't come into being until conception. Jesus existed before then. He was God and he got a body. But here's what we need to understand because, you know, there are false teachings out there that will be accusatory in ways that we don't know. You know, there's Eastern religions that'll say, well, you know, Jesus, because of who he was, he performed miracles when he was a little kid. He never did. The Bible said this first miracle he did. 
the Bible said this second miracle. So first, second, denote first, second. They weren't until he was anointed with the Spirit. Jesus had to grow and learn. He never functioned as God in the earth. He never did miracles until the Spirit of God came upon him. You with me? Here is an interesting verse. Turn to Philippians, or I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation instead of reading it from both, the New King James. But Philippians 2.7 says this in the New Living Translation. It said, instead, he gave up his divine privileges. You know, God came in a physical body and gave up his divine privileges. It says he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human, he appeared in human form. Somebody said, well, how can you say that he emptied or gave up his divine privileges and did not do miracles? Well, first of all, we recognize this. God's never tempted. Jesus was tempted. God's never tired. The Bible said Jesus was tired and grew weary. Right? God's all-knowing. Jesus didn't know everything. It said he grew in knowledge. Isn't it interesting that God came as a man? Here's what we need to see in this whole thing. Why did he do such a crazy thing? Why did he come as a man and not even function in the divine power that he had in heaven and had to wait till he was 30 years old to be anointed with the Spirit then to start this activity of miracles and all this? Why did he wait? Why did he function as a man though he was God? Why did he allow himself to be tempted? Why did all this occur? See, here's what we need to understand. This earth was given to man. Man forfeited the rights that they had. Man was sold into slavery to sin and spiritual death. They were eternally separated. God gave it to man. And he said, it's yours. You dress it. You keep it. You subdue it. You have dominion over it. And then man messed the whole thing up. And the Bible said that through man was the way out. So no wonder Jesus came, God came, because he had to get it back the way it was given up, through man, through man. Through man, he had to get it back. And so he couldn't just override this and go, no, no, no. He came as a man and then gave the opportunity for all men to come back out of what man got them into. And isn't it interesting how many people fight Jesus, and this was God doing this, becoming a man to ransom mankind. I don't want that. But he's the way out. He's the way out. And he's not just a man. See, when man fell, it spread through all mankind. Therefore, God came 
as a man, not functioning as God. And we know because we've read the Bible verses that said that were certain places Jesus couldn't do miracles. He was hindered because of their unbelief and scriptures like that in Matthew 12 or Mark 6 and things like that. And we know in the Old Testament, God was even hindered because of certain things that men did. Because God really has given man privilege, opportunity, dominion. I mean, even when Jesus started exercising the authority that he had as a man that had not fallen and had not sinned, see where Adam lost it all? Jesus is actually in the Bible called the last or the second Adam. So he was exercising a dominion that they had not seen, but pre-existed back with Adam. And they're thinking, what is going on? And remember what the devil said one time when they went to Cast Mountain? He said, have you come to torment us before the time? How can you do this? They knew who he was. But he wasn't functioning as God, but they recognized him here. How many times did demons cry out and say, we know who you are? Isn't it interesting? They cry out and say, we know who you are. And how many people will argue that he's not even what the devil says? Because the devil will lie. He does. There is darkness out there. But it's interesting, he said, don't send us from this place. Have you come to torment us before the time? There's a time and a right place here. How did the enemy get this right? Man gave it to him. But guess what? Another man came and snatched it back. He was no ordinary man. We know him as Jesus. The Bible calls him God in the flesh. The Bible doesn't say he just started being when he came. The Bible actually even tells us this. The whole reason he did this was to identify with man, to give man an example. And then also so that after he did die and rise again, he would be a faithful high priest. How could God, never tiring, never being tempted, never being pressured to do wrong, never changing, really identify with me, the imperfect one. You, the more perfect one. No, all of us have missed it. And it said he came and tasted of this. How could you taste of this really if you functioned as God? Because you just could not be tempted. The Bible said he was tempted in all points like us, but never sinned. So he knew what it was like to have pressure and to be tempted. It's an interesting thing. And then he died and rose again, and now he's at the right hand of God. And the Bible said he's a faithful high priest, and he's touched with the feelings of our weaknesses. How did he get touched with them? It said because he went through the same things we go through. He can truly identify. You know, because some people will argue with God and say, God, you just don't even know what I'm going through. Like you waving your fist at him is going to do much. You just don't know what I'm going through right now. And he's like, all right, I love you. 
but you're wrong. Because I was there, and I was cold, I was naked, I had to flee when people came to kill me. You know, my parents did this. I knew what it was like to have to have divine privilege or uh, provision given to me to make it so we could escape. And then, then how God had to warn me, hey, these relatives are still alive. These rulers, you know, when we came back as a teenager out of Egypt and he said, go over here. He knew all that. You with me? He knew what it was to have long days and have to have rest because the Bible said God's never weary, never tired. But the Bible said Jesus grew weary and he sometimes would depart from the crowd. But he's God. But he's interesting because he's God not functioning as God. Just so he could identify with us just so he could ransom us. So I guess the question is, who is it that we really see when we look at him? Man legally forfeited everything. Jesus came and legally, as a man, got it all back. Nobody has ever claimed that. You know, when people say, you know, all religions are pretty much the same. Anybody ever heard that? They're pretty much the same. You know, there's pretty much. Jesus said, no, no, this is super narrow and all the other ways are broad. How narrow do you get that there's only one man who died and it was foretold all these things? Some of these were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before he came that this would occur, this is where he'd be born, this is who he would be, this is what would happen. And I mean, there's just bunches of stuff, and it comes to pass, this is not like something else. Buddha was not God in the flesh. Islam, you know, they never had a God in the flesh. They talk about their prophets, Muhammad, Elijah, or whoever the ones are, but we're not the same. In this aspect, we worship God. But you say, well, they worship God. No, no. We worship God who came in the flesh and said, I'm the only way. And think about this. It wasn't to be mean to anybody and to spite other religions and other belief systems. It was not that. It wasn't to spite them. You know, when we grew up, we'd go on vacation, and I remember my uncle lived up in central California, so we'd kind of stop on our way going north, and one year we stopped and we went to the Winchester mansion, you know, the old Winchester, you know, the gun, the repeating rifle. Well, the wife, you know, um, was kind of a little, whoa. It's now in a, I was going to say amusement park. It's a, a tourist attraction. It's almost an amusement park. She built this house and was afraid of these demons and these evil spirits, you know, because of her husband's gun. So she paid people to build on her house 24 hours a day, 365, a hammer keep beating to keep these things away. 
So she'd build a hallway. Well, build a hallway. They build a I mean, this thing's huge. Build a hallway. And it's got doors. And you can open up a door and it doesn't go anywhere. Go to another door, open it up, doesn't go anywhere. Go open another door, it doesn't go anywhere. Open this one, it's bricks. Go up the stairs, and there's a door. And it opens and drops straight off. Religion is like that. There's lots of doors, but they don't lead to the right place. And that's not being mean. So God came and said, listen, I am the door. If anybody enters through me, he will find life. This was not a human plan. It just was a legal plan, though. You with me? Man had to pay for man's mistake, and so God came as man. It wasn't to do spite. It was to get people through the door. It wasn't to mock other people. It was to give the real answer. So we're not opening this door and trying this. That's not working. Try this door, and it's not working. Where does this one go? And open it up and try another door. And do we need to mock them? No, we just need to recognize this was God's plan. This wasn't my plan. This wasn't your plan. This wasn't Israel's plan. This wasn't a Jewish plan. This wasn't a white person's plan. This wasn't a Middle Eastern plan. This was a God plan. And a God man who did not function as God, but as man, and he was tempted. He sweat like you. He got tired like you. He had to believe God like you. And then he died for you so that he could make a real door that no other religion was getting. Judaism, the foundation of Christianity, was not even the door. It represented the path to the coming one who would become the door. But it wasn't even the door. Jesus even said to them, you think you have eternal life, but he said, you don't. Because they thought their good works would do it. And here he is standing in front of them, and they didn't even know who he was, because they didn't see what we see, or hear what we've heard, or know. Jesus even said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. They'll tell you you don't. Isn't that wild? All the religions of the world are doors that don't lead anywhere, and God wanted to help humanity so much. He wasn't mocking them. He was trying to present the real way. Whether we like it or not, God in his great mercy knew what it would take because of man's failure. He knew a man had to get it back. How do you do that? Because you've got to be spotless. You've got to be perfect. The only remedy, come in the flesh. Don't function as God. Be tempted. Stand up. Resist the enemy when he comes. And it's interesting, after Jesus died and rose again, he said, now I've got the authority over the powers of the enemy, over lies, deception, and everything else, and I give it to you. I got the keys I give it to you. Isn't it interesting? Keys open doors. Knowledge. But here's the wild thing. If you read that and studied the Bible, you'd think, wait a minute. You got authority? Sure looks like you had authority. 
you can't read Matthew, the book, first book of the New Testament, Mark, Luke, and John, see the life of Jesus and think, this guy doesn't have authority. He has what everybody else has. No way, you couldn't. You'd go, this guy has something that no one else has. And even the religious people of his day knew it. Why did he need authority? Why did he need all that? He didn't. Not for himself, but for mankind. Because they had lost it. See, he came as sinless, spotless, have never failed, have never been yielded over to spiritual death and lost it all. And so now here we've got Jesus who gets it back, not for himself. Isn't it interesting, all the different times after he dies and rises, he basically infers, I got this authority, now go use it yourself. How many people don't see what we're supposed to see or know what we're supposed to know of who this really was? And some people will downgrade Jesus to just another religious leader, but that's only because they're looking at him from the outside as being a man, not realizing he pre-existed. He was so different than anybody else. And so now, legally, Jesus is the way. He is the way. He's the only way, the Bible said. And like I said, that's not being mean to everybody else. It's being helpful. That's not being mean. It's not, it's not degrading people. But what if people keep trying? I did that when I lived in the world. I kept trying different things and trying, and it didn't do it. Then when I received Christ, Jesus, and started walking with him, I recognized, I got it. There's no reason to go anywhere else. I have it. And so isn't it interesting now that after Jesus died, it said his name was given the highest position of authority. And if you read through the book of Acts, you'll recognize that this baby Jesus, we celebrate his birth right now, he grew up, died and suffered, and then his name was inferred or placed into the highest position in the seen and unseen realm. And so now people who will use his name in faith, the Bible said, basically, they invoke God. Call him on the scene to action. Why? Because the name is connected to God, because he was the God-man. Who do we serve? Jesus. We serve God. And he said, there's no other name given among men whereby people must be saved. In other words, he's the door. This isn't a knock toward any religion. There's no reason knocking anybody. No reason to downgrade anybody. But if people are opening doors and recognize, like at the Winchester house, that doesn't go and God in his mercy said, you know what, I need to help humanity. They're everywhere in the world trying everything. Religion is man's attempt to find God. 
Jesus was God's attempt to get man back. And so there's a void in everybody going, hey, man, I, I need to know this Savior. I need to know this Lord. I need to know God. And they look at different ways, and God just narrowed it down and said, I'm going to come, and, and you just look to me, and I'll be the way. Because it has to be legal. And none of those other ways are legal, spiritually legal. And that's not being mean. It's truthful. If I don't know the law and I violate it, I can get in trouble, right? There are laws, and if those laws are enforced, I can get in trouble. And there are spiritual laws, and people don't realize that God made a way to remedy things. And it seems so little and so narrow, but the fact is, it's so legal from a spiritual standpoint. You with me? Yeah. 